This week I had a chance to grab dinner with some Anglicans, which I know that's how many of you spend your weeks is grabbing dinner with Anglicans. But I had a chance to grab dinner with some Anglicans who were thinking about planning a church in Philadelphia and they were trying to figure out and we were trying to figure out how Liberty could help them. And as we were sitting at dinner at Uzbekistan on Boston Avenue, uh, enjoying that the cultural and culinary experience that Uzbekistan is, I mentioned that I was preaching on worship this Sunday, and one of the priests laughed and joked, so you're preaching on worship just one Sunday? And I felt the weight of that, <laughs> like just preaching on worship for one Sunday is a huge task, and truthfully, it deserves months of sermons. And I hope at some point we'll circle back and we'll do maybe a series on worship and uh, what that means and how we can worship in, on Sundays and in our daily lives. But that's how I feel about worship, but I also feel that for community and mercy, which are the other two topics that are going to be part of this series as well. That's a lot. But like a food tasting that maybe you have at a restaurant, the goal here is to give you a small taste of each one of Liberty's values. For many of you, our values are new. Many of you are new to our church. Many of you, some of you have been coming for a while, but the goal here is to kind of whet your appetite and make you want to come back for more, for more worship, for more community, for more mercy. So Liberty, Liberty's mission is to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus for Northeast Philadelphia and the surrounding area. Our whole goal, our whole mission is to be Jesus for our area. So what we do is the way we live that mission out is through our values of worship, community, and mercy. And what we say is that the gospel frees us to do all these things. So everything we do here at Liberty, from the overall vision of the church to the events, all the way down to Liberty Kids and Liberty Youth, and everything we do comes from these values, worship, community, and mercy. But each value isn't removed from the others. They, they might look different in different settings, right? The way you worship in community might look different than you, the way you worship on Sundays, right? The way you do community on Sundays may look different than the way you do communities in your home meetings. But they overlap in many ways. So take, for instance, the bulletins, all right? Just all the way down to the bulletins. So you're aware we have bulletins that we hand out every week. You should grab these. They're really helpful but here in the bulletins are worship, community, and mercy. Worship, on the back, there's a spot for sermon notes so you can participate in worship. Community, there's events on the front. Mercy, if you aren't part of our church and you don't know what our church is about, you can read about that in the FAQs. So everything we do, including the bulletins, are about worship, community, and mercy. You guys tracking with me? Everybody's good? All right. If you're not, go grab a cup of coffee out in the fellowship hall, and come back in. But what we're going to talk about today is worship. That the gospel frees us to love God in worship. And in worship, we remember and anticipate God's story, and we reorient our lives around it. Some of us may have concepts of what worship should be like. Some of us may believe we know what worship is, but here's the deal. It doesn't matter what you think it is. It doesn't matter what you think it should be. What matters is what the Bible says worship is, how God has designed worship. And God's designed his worship 
to be a remembrance and anticipation and a reorientation around his story. Remembrance, anticipation, and reorientation around his story. So it matters what the Bible says about this. But if you want to go deeper and you want to read more about this and you want a little bit more of this to be drawn out for you a little bit, you can always read Robert Weber's book, Ancient Future Worship, which has influenced me and how making a good, showing me how the Bible sees worship. And these are his terms, remembrance, anticipation, and reorientation. So we just read the Ten Commandments. And if you have a church background, there's a temptation to see the Ten Commandments simply as a list of rules. Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. But that's an incomplete picture. Because it doesn't start in verse 3. It starts in verse 1. Exodus 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words saying. It starts with God. More particularly, it starts with God speaking. Young people, this isn't the first time that God speaks in the book of Exodus. If we had time, what we would do is we would turn back in our Bibles to Exodus chapter 3 and we would see God speaking to Moses through a what? Anybody know? A what bush? A burning bush. And that God's people, Israel, were in slavery in Egypt, and God speaks to Moses. God speaks to Moses. Moses is just like a shepherd. He's wandering around taking care of sheep, and God initiates this conversation. And when he initiates the conversation, when he speaks to Moses, he commands him to go to Egypt to tell Pharaoh to let his people go. But in Exodus 3.18, God tells Moses why does he want his people to be freed from Egypt? To tell Pharaoh to let my people go that they may worship me. That's why God does it. So they may sacrifice to me. So God frees us from slavery so that we can worship him. It's about God. So you fast forward the story. Moses goes before Pharaoh and he says, God said to let our people go. And Pharaoh does not like that idea. He was getting a lot of significant free labor. He does not want to let Israel go. But you fast forward even more and God sends a series of judgments and plagues and these judgments are on Pharaoh and on Egypt and Egypt's gods. And then God walks them through the Red Sea on the dry land. Maybe you remember the story. God walks them through the Red Sea on dry land and then Pharaoh's army chases after them and then the waters crush them and kill them. And then Israel ends up at Sinai and God speaks again. But this time not to Moses, as he has been all the way up to this point. But he speaks directly to the people. Which, like, in verse 18 through 21, if you, read, if you can read that later, the people are freaked out by this. 
God speaks. I think any of us, if God were to speak right now, audibly, all of us would be pretty freaked out, right? Even me, as the pastor, I would still be pretty freaked out. And when God does, what does God do? When God speaks to them, he reminds them that he freed them from slavery. And out of response for his love, he commands them to obey him. So side note, we obey God not to make God love us, but because God loves us, we obey him. Like you shouldn't date your wife to make her love you. But because you love your wife, you should date her. Get the difference? Make sense? Because God loves us, we obey him. Not, we don't obey him to make him love us. And that brings us to the first aspect of remembrance. So God reminds Israel in verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Worship remembers God's story. My dad was a worship pastor for about 30, 40 years, and he used to say, worship reminds me that it's not about me. And that's absolutely true. It's about God. But worship also reminds me not just of God, but of his story. That God's story begins in eternity past, and God doesn't have a start date. Like, all of us have a start date. God never had a start date. He always existed. And what he does And in worship, what we do is we remember his story as it relates to creation. So we have a start date. Our world has a start date. And so, and the Bible has a start, and it goes like this in verse 1 of Genesis 1. In the beginning, who? God created the heavens and the earth. You weren't there. I wasn't there. God was there. Adam and Eve weren't there. Moses wasn't there. David wasn't there. This is going to take a little bit longer time to explain, but Jesus was there. But that's, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the earth, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, see, God speaks, let there be light, and there was light. So just like at Mount Sinai, before the universe was created, God spoke, and he spoke things into existence. So that every part of creation, from the light that comes through your windows in the morning to the stars in the sky to your best friends are all part of God's story of creation. That the story he spoke into existence. And as many of us know, if you have a church background, rather than loving their creator, the first humans that God spoke into existence chose to love themselves over God. And sin and death entered the world. So now what happens? All of us are born in spiritual slavery. And all of us live in spiritual darkness. And the rest of the scripture, though, is about God seeking to bring his people back to Eden. That's the whole, that's the thrust of scripture. This is how I wanted you to live. You messed it up. This is how I'm going to have you live in the future. It's about God's story. And God sent his son, Jesus, the greater Moses, the true light of the world to rescue us and to bring us back to Eden, to free you from spiritual slavery. 
You can't be freed from spiritual slavery unless you embrace the story of what Jesus has done for you, what God has done for you in Jesus. And Jesus came to be the light to show you out the way out of spiritual darkness. So John, when he talks about Jesus coming into the world, how does he speak about it? Look at John 1.1. It'll be on the screen. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And jump down to verse 9. The true light, speaking of Jesus, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Did you catch that? In the beginning, light again. But this time, it's the true light. And this is a new beginning. A recreation that has begun in Jesus. And he is the true light that came into the world to rescue us from spiritual darkness. So when we worship, we remember God's story and his love towards us. His creating love. His rescuing love that he sent in Jesus to die for you and me to rise again from the dead so we can be freed from spiritual slavery and spiritual darkness. See, worship is rooted in memory. You have to remember what God did. And we see this all over Scripture. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Israelites are told to remember what God has done by telling their children about how he rescued them from Egypt. The whole point of the Passover meal is to remember God's rescue. And the Bible's worship books, the book of Psalms, says this in Psalm 77, 11, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. And even the observance of Sabbath that we saw in Exodus 20 is rooted in the memory, remembering God's work. Where? In creation. So look at verse 8 of chapter 20. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Remember. Why? Well, because scientists have determined and psychologists have now caught up and they realize that it's good for everybody to take a day off of work at least once a week. That's what God says, right? Verse 11. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth. Remember how God created the world the sea and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. Remember God rested. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So in worship, you and I remember God's story of creation and rescue. And while the recreation has started in Christ, that's in the past for us, we also anticipate this story of recreation coming to completion. So part of Worship is remembrance. The other part is anticipation. So look at anticipation in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heavens and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Worship 
not just remembers God's story, but anticipates his story, where it's going. Have you ever anticipated something that just gets you, it gets you so excited thinking about when it will be done? Right? It might be like a home project or something like that. Like, I can't wait for this to be done. It's going to be awesome. It's taken me three years to put this together, and finally we're going to have shelves up in the laundry room area. Like, that's like, yeah, it took you three years. Or you might be like driving down I-95, right? And you're like, in 30 years when this is done, it's going to be awesome. Until, of course, that, at that point it becomes out of date and we've got to expand it a little bit more. Or maybe you're like, you're like my family who somehow we keep ending up at Disney World. But at Disney World, you see a ride being built and you're like, I can't wait for that ride to be done. Worship is a large part of worship is anticipating. I can't wait for this to be done. I can't wait for recreation to be done. I can't wait for t- Revelation 21 to happen. I can't wait. Which, by the way, this is sign note. This is for free. That's, don't come to worship just like, oh, yeah, here we go. We're just going to sing some songs. Like, if you were like, I can't wait for Revelation 21 to happen, how would that change your worship on Sunday mornings? Think about what the world will be like when Jesus comes and fixes it. Death no more? Crying no more? Pain no more? And we have the audacity to show up on Sundays like it doesn't matter? Like that isn't going to happen? I know I do. All the time show up like it's not going to happen. So part of worship is anticipating God's story in the future. Even the Ten Commandments invite us to anticipate what the world will be like without things like murder. God's saying, I'm creating this people where you're not going to murder each other. Like if Christians around the world just agreed to not murder each other, we'd be in a much better spot. Or a world without adultery, without marriages being broken and falling apart, without stealing, without lying, without coveting. Wouldn't that be a wonderful world to live in? And guess what? If you're a follower of Jesus, one day it will be the world you live in where sin and death and suffering will be no more. Just like it was in creation, it will be in recreation. And so we anticipate that day in worship. And not just in worship, we also anticipate it in community and mercy. We anticipate a day when we'll be fully free to worship God. We anticipate a day where we'll be able to dwell with each other in unity without sin. Could you imagine, like, interacting with other Christians? Like, Christians are some of the hardest people to get along with that I know. Imagine if sin's not there. How amazing that would be. Or to experience God's mercy as he wipes the tears from your eyes. Like, wow. This is God's story. God's story of creation, rescue, and recreation So in worship, we remember and we anticipate that story. And the most obvious way we do that is in our weekly gatherings. It's the most obvious way. Worship absolutely is a lifestyle. We'll talk about that in a minute. But one day a week 
we Sabbath. One day a week we set aside as a day of rest, of worship and fellowship with other Christians. And when we do, we remember and we anticipate God's story of creation, rescue, and recreation. So for instance, sermons? Sermons aren't just like a Sunday morning TED Talk. I'm not giving you a, or I'm not giving you a lecture. In preaching, we recite and we remember God's actions in history. But we also point forward to the glorious day when Jesus will come back and all of us who put our faith and trust in him will be part of the recreation process. We're creeds. We don't just say creeds because it's like a good idea. Got to get everybody on the same page about what we believe. Robert Weber says, creeds are soundbite testimonies to God's long activity to bring about his purposes for our world. So we remember, right, in creeds, we say, I believe in God Almighty, who? Maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus, who came and died and rose again. But we also anticipate when Jesus will come again to judge the living and the dead. We anticipate the resurrection of the body. We anticipate the life everlasting. When we confess our sins and, and hear assurance of our forgiveness, we remember our sin and how God rescued us from that. And we anticipate when we will stand before God completely forgiven. Like when we do the assurance of pardon, it's a microcosm of what it's going to feel like when you stand before God and he says, Evan, you're forgiven. Or communion. In communion, we remember God's story of rescue and Jesus' death on the cross. We even say, Jesus, we even say, Christ has died. Remember, Christ has risen. Remember. But we also anticipate Christ will come again. And we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When we sing, we remember the great things that God has done. But we also anticipate the things that he will do according to his promises. See, Sundays are incredibly important for this reason. This reason. Because where else in your life and in your week are you constantly reminded of what God has done and what he will do? So everything we do in worship constantly is pointing to those things. Some are more obvious and some are less so, but they all are pointing to those things. Remember what God has done. Remember, don't worry, guess what he will do one day. Hebrews 10, 24 gets at this. It says, the writer of Hebrews says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is in the habit of son, but some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What do we do in worship? We do God's story. We don't neglect Sunday worship. We gather together, and when we gather together, we encourage each other by what God has done for us in the past, but we also anticipate the day, the writer says, the day Christ will return. So Sundays are one massive act of remembrance and anticipation. The whole worship service is set up to say, hey, remember this? 
Remember this? And, oh man, we can't wait for that. So there's remembrance, anticipation, but there's also reorientation. Let's do a quick flyby of the, the commandments, starting in verse 3. Here they are. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet. Worship reorients our lives around God's story. Worship brings remembrance, the past, and anticipation, the future, and brings them into the present by us living lives of worship daily. God's people have to now reorient their lives. No more, no more idols. No more, no more murder. No more adultery. None of that. Because of remembering and anticipating, we reorient our lives. It changes the way we live. We constantly live remembering what God has done, anticipating what he will do, and that changes how you and I live now. So Romans 12.1, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We are freed by God by worshiping him in our daily lives. And we, set time, we see time as God's time, so we orient our days around him. We see God's people as God's as we see people as God's people, so we reorient our lives around spending time with them and telling others about Jesus. We see money as God's money, so we reorient our spending around him. John Tyson is a pastor in New York. He says, you reorient your life around what you love, not what you believe, what you love. Catch that? You and I dedicate our lives to the things we love most. Not what we believe, what we love. Think about someone when they first fall in love. They turn their whole life upside down because they love that person. They're always thinking about them. They're always talking about them. Like you get sick, okay, all right. We heard about your boyfriend like a thousand times. We got it, you love him, great. They call them before they go to bed. They text them when they wake up. They rearrange their whole schedules to make sure they can go on dates with each other and see each other. The rhythms of their lives are completely reoriented around that person. So we can say that we believe in God. Great. But you know what the Bible says? So do the demons. So what? They don't reorient their lives around him. They don't truly love him because if they did, they would. They would change. And I know most of us believe in God's story. But if we're really free to love God in worship, we need to seriously consider if we're reorienting our lives around our love for him. See, if God's story has changed you, it should change you. If it has, you then must reorient your daily rhythms around him. 
You need to start finding t- daily time, reorienting time around being in communion with God in prayer and scripture. You need to reorient honoring him in your life through daily worship by ob- obeying him out of gratitude for what he's done for you. That changes, we change our weekly rhythms, right? Making Sunday worship a priority. Like, it doesn't matter to me if you, you believe church is good. If you believe reading your Bible is good, it doesn't matter to me, it doesn't matter to God. If you're not reorienting your lives around it, it doesn't matter what you believe because you really don't love it. You really don't love him. That's what the Bible's saying. We have to also change what we expect from Sundays. Do we come to worship expecting God to work in our lives or expecting God to work in the lives of others? Do you come to worship that way? I'm going to expect God to show up today. And if he doesn't show up in my life, I expect him to show up in that person's life. And I'm going to pray for that. See, you reorient your life around what you love, not what you believe, what you love. And the Bible says, do you want to know what you really love? Look at what you reorient your life around. See, if you don't end up worshiping God, you end up worshiping something else. And you'll pick up another story instead of God's story. And you'll remember and anticipate certain things from that story. And you'll reorient your life around that thing. So it's great to love your kids. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I promote that. Love your children. It's a great idea. But if you worship your kids, what will end up happening is you'll reorganize your whole life around their schedule. You'll start slinging nuggets in the back just to get them to all their activities. That is worship. If your whole life is for your kids, it's worship. You're worshiping your kids. Or if you worship work, okay, all right, all right. Nobody's going to talk back to me today, okay? If you worship work, you reorganize your whole life around your work schedule. You'll constantly be thinking about it. You'll constantly be answering emails or picking up extra shifts. That's worship. Young people, if you worship approval, you'll do everything you can to make your friend happy because you need their approval. That's worship. We all worship something. The problem is that everything you worship besides God keeps you enslaved. So, for example, if your kids don't appreciate what you do for them, okay, amen, what you do is you double down and you do more for them, right? Well, maybe they'll appreciate me now. Maybe this time it will be different. Like maybe my four-year-old will wake up and be like, man, I really appreciate Dad. Look at all he does for me. You just wait, and then you just wait for them to express that gratitude, but you never get it. So what happens? You're left sad and disappointed. And you feel worthless because Joni's kids, they all seem to appreciate her. Wow. What about my kids? They don't appreciate me. Must be a bad dad. Must be a bad mom. If you worship your kids, that's, that's the end result. Or if you're never satisfied with the amount of work you put in, because frankly, there's always more work to do. Always is. You'll eventually work yourself to the bone and become exhausted. Some of you feel that right now. I know, talking to you. You feel exhausted. The reason why we feel exhausted, myself included, about work is because we worship it. 
And that's where it leads, exhaustion. Word, no matter what you do, that friend that you need approval from will never be happy with you. But you've convinced yourself this time they will, but then they still don't. So what happens? You become bitter. And you're less likely to try to be friends with somebody in the future. Because you worship that person, that person let you down. See, we reorient our lives around what we love, what we worship. And when we don't do God's story, we do our story. So life becomes about me and what I want. So I can say I believe in God. I can say I believe in his story. But the way I reorient my life proves that I really don't love him. I love me. And when this happens, we then make worship all about me. And that's not the way of Christ at all. Christ never made it about him. Never. Even in the garden, he's like, God, if there's another way, that'd be great, but I'll still do what you want me to do. So what happens is Sunday worship then can become about education. Because it's all about me. And many Christians have seen the role of Sundays as education. So either it's like on the finer points of doctrine, like we need to have all the details nailed down about the end times. Like Revelation is such an easy book. If we just have these charts, we can all figure out what is going to happen in the future. Or, we need, or it's education about practical tips about how I should live my life. So we, ha- we, we want to learn about how to make our marriages better or become social or political issues we should all get behind or get, at least get really upset about. Like, truth is important. Education is important. Don't hear me. I know we have a lot of teachers. Education is important. But we have to be careful not to make Sundays about head knowledge that I get out of the service. Oh, I learned something new today. I learned about more doctrine. I learned about the charts, and now I can prove and make, my, make lots of friends by telling them how their end times theology is wrong. So that always makes good friends. So if you overemphasize education, though, in your worship, and it becomes about head knowledge, for you will end up with dead orthodoxy. You'll be eggheads for God and will miss out on real relational connection with him. So what happens is we reorient our daily lives around being smarter than everyone. And what does that make us? Arrogant. Or some have made Sunday about experience. So some Christians see the point of Sundays is to have an experience. We even refer to it as the worship experience. Everybody hear that echo? Some see it in the beauty of the liturgy. Some see it in the expressiveness of the music. Or like, oh, everybody was speaking in tongues. They were racing their hands. Like fog machines were rolling, lasers. It was an awesome experience. And of course, we all want to experience God on Sundays. And of course, beauty and expression are important. Otherwise, worship becomes lifeless, and it's all about what's pragmatic. 
Is that what you want, just like pragmatic worship? No, you want beautiful worship. You want expressive worship. And I'll choose those things time and time again. Don't get me wrong. But if this is what it is, it all becomes about what I get out of the service, my experience. And it becomes about how I felt about the service. And so we end up reorienting our lives around how we feel. I remember a pastor named Francis Chan who, after worship service one time, a guy came up to him and said, I didn't really like worship today. And Francis Chan replied, that's okay. We weren't worshiping you anyway. So we need balance of remembrance and anticipation that helps us reorient our lives around God's story. See, overemphasizing experience can be a lot like, it's a lot like eating cotton candy. Cotton candy tastes awesome, but you can't live off cotton candy. So it can't be experienced all the time. Where you can overemphasize education, and it's like eating steak, but you can overcook steak and lose all of its flavor. And the life is just drained out of it. Experience and education are both valuable parts of worship, but we need to remain balanced. Education is heavy on remembrance, but light on anticipation. Experience is often heavy on anticipation and light on remembrance. We need both. And this helps us reorient our lives around God's love and his story. So the gospel frees us to love God, and when we reorient our lives around him, although it may be challenging to reschedule my week to get to church, or it might be awkward to tell my kid's boss, oh, sorry, my boss or my kid's coach that I can't be there on Sunday, that we can't be there on Sunday because we go to church. It's ultimately a more fulfilling way to live your life because it's based in God's story. Remembering how he loved you and in your sin and sent his son to die for you and rose again from the dead and then anticipating when he'll bring about recreation to completion and we'll be with him forever. And we respond to this by reorienting our lives around this story. So as I close, I just want to tell you what liberty is going to do with our values and what I'm going to challenge you to do. When we gather on Sundays, we're going to invite everyone to come. We're going to invite them to come to give their praise and adoration to God. And I'm going to invite you every week to expect God to show up in your life or in somebody else's life. Expect God to show up. As you're driving over here, pray, God, show up today. And we're going to do God's story by keeping the gospel central. We have to constantly remind ourselves of the gospel, what what God and Jesus have done for us and what he will do. And because we want to keep the balance of remembrance and anticipation, we are going to continue to include traditional and dynamic elements in our services. We have to remember, guys, like the church didn't start in like the 1970s. It didn't start with Billy Graham. The church has been around for 2,000 years. And there's lots of things in there, in that history, that are valuable. So we're going to continue to plunge the depths of those. And we're going to anticipate God's story by continuing to include contemporary elements. And we're going to try to keep it God-centered. All of our worship, Sundays and throughout the week, and try to make things all about God. Remind each other that it's about God. Hey, it's okay. I know you feel the pressure. Don't worry. It's about God. And we're going to make Sundays comprehensible so seekers and skeptics can feel welcomed. 
But what I challenge you to do, I challenge you to read your Bible and pray daily and spend time with God. I challenge you to reorient your daily rhythms around the Bible and praying. Some of you, that just means you've got to start with five minutes. You're going to have to wake up five minutes earlier. But remember, you reorient your life around what you love, not what you believe, what you love. And then come to worship and seek to grow as a worshiper of the risen Jesus. Reorient your life around Sunday worship, not Sunday worship around your life. And there's all these stats I can point to that show you the value of doing that. I can point to history where the pioneers who took a Sabbath, who went out, went out west, made it at the same time as the people who kept traveling all seven days. I can point to all that. But if it's, we reorient our lives around what we love, Sunday becomes a priority. We don't make our lives a priority and then try to shove Sundays in there somehow. And, so, and then embrace the aspects of service, of our services that, are, that make you, uh, maybe you're unfamiliar with or make you uncomfortable. Some of us need to come and we need to yearn for God's truth. Like we're so focused on experience that we're not getting enough of education in this and learning about God's truth. Some of us, I'm just going to say this, all right? Don't get offended at me. I'm not trying to beat you up. Some of y'all need to be a little more expressive. You got to be just a little bit more hand raising. I'm just asking you just, you don't have to do the double hand all up in there. Just give me a little one of these, okay? Every once in a while, just like uh, eyes closed, a little one of these. Trust me, I have it on a good source that God will not strike you dead if you raise your hands in church. Very good source. But some of us also need to see the beauty in the liturgy. Some of us go, oh, the liturgy, it's so old school. Oh my gosh. It's beautiful. It really is. See the beauty in there. And some of us need to worry a little bit less, including myself, about how we felt about the worship service. Because it's not about our story, it's about God's story. So the gospel frees us to worship God. And in worship, what we do is we remember, we anticipate, and we reorient our lives around God's story.